This audio recording is presented by City Church Orlando. Hatred stirs up strife, but love covers all offenses. The one who conceals hatred has lying lips, and whoever utters slander is a fool. Whoever belittles his neighbor lacks sense, but a man of understanding remains silent. Whoever goes about slandering reveals secrets, but he who is trustworthy in spirit keeps a thing covered. Whoever covers an offense seeks love, but he who repeats a matter separates close friends. Do not rejoice when your enemy falls, and let not your heart be glad when he stumbles, lest the Lord see it and be displeased and turn away his anger from him. Be not a witness against your neighbor without cause, and do not deceive with your lips. Do not say, I will do to him as he has done to me. I will pay the man back for what he has done. If your enemy is hungry, give him bread to eat. And if he is thirsty, give him water to drink, for you will heap burning coals on his head, and the Lord will reward you. Better is open rebuke than hidden love. Faithful are the wounds of a friend, profuse are the kisses of an enemy. Whoever conceals his transgressions will not prosper, but he who confesses and forsakes them will obtain mercy. This is God's word. Please be seated. Thanks, Bill. Good evening, City Church. Uh, I'm Ted Sin, one of the pastors here, and we continue this evening in our study uh, through the book of Proverbs, uh, looking at the character traits of the wise. Uh, This sermon is uh, how to be sinned against well. Uh, It's how to be offended well. It's how to be transgressed well. This is a sermon on how the wise deal with being sinned against. The the book of Proverbs is not naive. It, It realizes and teaches and it prepares us for the reality that not only should we be humbled by the truth that we have a massive capacity for evil inside of us, but so does our neighbor. That, that even those who love us will at times uh, use us, manipulate us, deceive us, do whatever they have to do to us to get their way, to get what they want, to advance themselves and their agenda. So tonight's uh, sermon is from Proverbs. We're going to follow a thread that's going to teach us how to believe and how to behave uh, when we are uh, sinned against, when we're offended. I'm going to give you some introductory remarks on the passages I've provided in the worship folder uh, getting us started. I think this will help the outline uh, make more sense. So if you have the verses in front of you, um, it, it will help you. If you start at the very top, Chapter 10, verse 12, this thread in Proverbs on how to be offended well uh, starts here. Hatred stirs up strife, but love covers all offenses. Uh, There it is, offenses. uh, The Hebrew word pesha, which is sometimes uh, translated transgressions. It's a sinful crossing of a boundary against a person, uh, against their rights, against uh, their properties. Uh, 10.12 establishes two options for the heart when any offense, large or small, happens. Two options for the heart. One path you can walk down, the path of the wise is the path of love. 
Uh, love covers all offenses. We're going to discuss the path of love in detail for about 20 minutes in our second point. The other path that can be walked is the path of hatred, the path of the enemy. There is no neutral in the book of Proverbs. It's either hatred or love. So the, the two words that, uh, that sort of come up over and over in these passages in front of you that, that discuss and describe the path of hatred, or you will, or the path of the enemy, um, it's not as obvious to us when we read these t- to, to see that hatred and enemy are actually the same word in the Hebrew language. One is um, hatred is a noun, uh, a verb, excuse me, and, and enemy is a noun. But in the Hebrew language, with just some different vowel markings, you could see that, that there's some significant connections weaving their way through in this, the path of, of hatred. Um, the path of hatred, as you can see very quickly, if you just kind of peruse through the middle section, is the path of deception, deceptive lips, whether it's words or kisses. Uh, the, the path of hatred is this. We harbor ill will in our hearts towards someone, but they don't know it. Our words conceal our hatred, chapter 10, verse 18, or our kisses or greetings feel excessive and deceptive, 27, 5. When you and I think of the word hatred, we, we normally think screaming mad, pull their hair out mad, spit on them hatred. But in Proverbs, it's so much more subtle. Hatred is more like this, wanting rooting for and dreaming about someone's demise, someone's misfortune, someone's loss, Uh, looking forward to and hoping for your enemy to be excluded, to lose something, to be shamed publicly. Look at 24-7 quickly uh, to see this, this nuance of what hatred is. Do not rejoice when your enemy or hated one falls And let not your heart be glad when they stumble. Hatred is not usually visible. It's a matter of the heart. It happens when we keep a record of wrongs against someone and look forward to their embarrassing and painful stumble. So these are the two paths seen in the bulk of the verses in this middle section. And next, if you look at the second to last verse, the verses from chapter 27 there at the bottom, Proverbs is going to tell us where the offended party will land, what their destination is, what they will do, depending on which path they choose to walk, the path of love or the path of hate. And then finally, the very last verse I gave you is, um, is one of the few verses in the worship folder that actually deals with the person who has offended you. Uh, th- this last verse is the end of this thread in Proverbs, and it gives two options to the offending party, uh, either deception and denial or confession, and we'll come back to that in a moment. But in summary, just so you kind of know why I picked the verses I picked and how they're connected to one another in terms of vocabulary and ideas, l- listen to this. When offended, when sinned against, your heart has two options. Flowing from these two heart realities are two paths. These two paths end in two very different behaviors for the one offended. And finally, the outcome in the offender's life is largely dependent on which path you choose to walk. So with this in mind, let's look at it this way. How to be offended well. The optimal destination and outcome, the necessary steps, and the power for those steps. The optimal destination and outcome the necessary steps where we're going to talk about the path and the power for those steps. Look at chapter 27, uh, verse 5 with me. For the optimal destination, this is for the one offended. This is where you're trying to get your heart. This is where you're trying to go when you've been sinned against. The path of love will lead here. Chapter 27, verse 5. Better 
is an open rebuke than hidden love. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. Profuse are the kisses of an enemy. Verse five is, is a better than proverb. It gives two good options, and then it says which one of the two is optimal. It doesn't say an open rebuke is good, but hidden love is bad. It also doesn't say hidden hate. The, the sage knows how to say that. He said it in chapter 10, verse 18. He says it in chapter 27 there at the end of verse 6, a, a hidden hate. He, he says that there are two good options, but one is better than the other. A hidden or a concealed or an unknown and unrevealed love is good, but better than that is an open rebuke. Not to the community, but open to and offered to the one who has offended. Not a rebuke driven by spite and hatred, but an, an honesty that according to verse six is faithful. It's a word for nourishing, supportive, trustworthy, and it's friendly. It's painful, but it's obviously coming from someone who wants to be in intimate relationship with you. It's, it's, it's a desire to be friends at the end of the rebuke. So when sinned against, the place we are going to try and get ourselves is to going to the one who offended us and wounding them or bruising them with the goal of them uh, growing in character and in the gospel. So that's the, that's the optimal destination. Uh, a good destination, but it's not quite as good as if you can get your heart to be in love with that person, but you don't have the opportunity or you don't believe it's the right time to rebuke them. Make sense? Now, Look at chapter 28, verse 13. This is the optimal outcome. This is the best case scenario when someone offends you. This is the best case scenario for their life. In a word, it's repentance. Chapter 28, verse 13. Whoever conceals his transgressions will not prosper, but he who confesses and forsakes them will obtain mercy. Okay, listen, in a moment, we're gonna walk down the road of love. That's the second point. And it's gonna multiple times tell the one who has been offended, uh, conceal the offense, cover the offense, cover it over with a veil. Don't let other people know about it. And the reason for that uh, command and that directive is this, that, that the goal is not that the sin would be stayed covered up and concealed forever. The goal is that the right person would confess it and make it known. And that is the one who actually committed the offense. Um, look again, the one who covers his sin. Covers is used in a positive way in the book of Proverbs when you cover someone else's sin. But it's saying when thinking about your own sin as the offender, if you cover your sin and hide it and make it to where others can't see it, you cannot prosper in the kingdom of God. You cannot advance in the kingdom of God. You cannot be successful in the kingdom of God. You cannot make headway in growing in character. But the one who confesses and forsakes his transgression the one who confesses and makes known and gets out there and runs away from his offense will obtain mercy. If you look at the entire thread, Proverbs is telling us what we know from experience. Starting at chapter 10 with being offended and going all the way down to chapter 28 with the one who committed the sin, whether they repent or whether they lie. When a sinner is hated and judged for their sin, Yet treated with kind hypocrisy, they tend to cover and deny their sins. They make no progress in life, no progress in salvation, no progress in character. But when a sinner, an offender, 
is loved well. Remember, that's our goal. Including honest, loving, faithful rebuke. They tend to confess their sins, forsake them, and join the community of grace. And therefore, they begin to prosper. It's communion Sunday. There it sits, right over there. We take communion every other week here so that we can make room for the sacrament of baptism on the opposite weeks. And um, I wanted to make sure that when I preached this sermon, I could preach it on a Sunday where we take communion. And the reason for that is this, that every week we have communion here at City Church, someone, whether it's in the announcements or whether it's Aaron talking about pursuing communion peace or when, it's, uh, when I fence the table and say, listen, the Bible says clearly who should come up here and participate in this and who should not. And, and, it's, and if you take of it and you're, you're not um, in the place where you should take of it, it actually could, could harm you spiritually and, and physically. And so we do something called fencing the table. And in those announcements or in that time of pursuing communion peace or, or in that time where we fence the table, we always allude to Jesus's teaching in Matthew. We always allude to his teaching that says that if a relationship is broken, don't take communion. Instead, pursue that person for peace and then come and participate the next time. In chapter five, he says, if you remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift therefore before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. So number one, if you have offended, go, be reconciled. But secondly, more pertinent to tonight's sermon, Jesus also taught in Matthew 18, if your brother sins against you, go. Tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you or if he agrees with you, you have gained your brother. So number two, if you've been offended, go. I mean, see the consistency across scripture that's the same optimal destination when offended that you might go with the goal of rebuking and telling and reconciling and joining one another in community. So a progress report for me and for you and for our body. I think when we say, if you have offended someone, don't take communion and go, it largely goes over your head. I think that when we say, if you've been offended, go to that person and don't take communion, I think it almost always goes right over your head. I would say, as a culture at City Church, for those of us who have sort of said, I'm gonna live here, I'm gonna buy in here, this is gonna be my home, I would say that on the if you have offended, go. If you're the one who has sinned, go. I think we get a C or a C plus here as I think about our community. And, and I, I think we're growing in this. I actually think we're creating a culture where we're truly beginning to repent to one another. We're truly beginning to say, not this, I'm so sorry that you took it that way and that I hurt you, but beginning to say, I wronged you. I was selfish. I was manipulative. Um, I was abusive. Um, I was anything but misunderstood. I was actually... Um, quite uh, malicious in my behavior. I, I think we're growing in that as a culture. We're beginning to see that we'll get freedom from sin and we'll grow in the gospel as we get our sins out there, confess them, and, and really dialogue with other people as to how our sins hurt them, how our sins have affected and affected them, and really learning to hate the sin. I think we're at about a C or a C plus there. Now, <clears throat> on the if you've been offended, go... I would give us a D minus or an F plus. 
And that's largely because I don't like giving Fs. I give on the curve. Think about it. When did you do this last? When did you go to someone Matthew 18 style and rebuke them? Sent dozens of emails to friends this week. No one could recall the last time they'd done it. Are we saying we're never sinned against? Are we saying we're never offended? Are we saying we're never transgressed? The book of Proverbs couldn't be more clear. The goal is for us to go and rebuke. Jesus couldn't be more clear. He says, go. I was thinking about it. I was thinking, I I would think it'd be easier to go and tell someone when they're wrong than to go and tell someone when you're wrong. But I actually, in looking at my life, in my D minus F plus life, I actually began to realize it's so much harder to go to someone when they've offended you than to go and admit that you've been offensive. I don't know why that is. I've thought about it. I think it has something to do with being vulnerable. I think it has something to do with being able to say to someone, you have this kind of power in my life. I think there's incredible pride and arrogance in it. I think it's, um, I think it's a place where we don't want conflict, where we don't want to have the chance of losing a relationship, although there's really no relationships and it's, it's been transgressed. And I think we just love approval. But we're just not very good at this. <laughs> we're failing at this. But, but I would say that the reason I'm being hard on us and I'm calling us to greatness in this way is that the Proverbs, they're very clear. For our community, for our community to be more authentic, more fruitful, more loving, for each of us to grow in character and to be more like Jesus, for each of us to become increasingly free, free from the sins that entangle and strangle and destroy us, the scriptures are clear. We have to have people in our lives communicating to us how hard it is to live with us. And we have to increasingly become the kind of person who goes when offended. That's the optimal destination. It's a loving rebuke. The optimal outcome is the repentance of the one who offended and reconciliation with the one who was offended. And Proverbs says, in order to get to that place, chapter 10, you've been offended. You can love or you can hate. If you choose the road of love, you will land at the place of a hidden love, or maybe you'll have the opportunity of giving an open rebuke. But these are the necessary steps along the way so that when you get there, you're a faithful friend. You ready? The necessary steps on the way to loving, faithful, friendly rebuke. This is um, the, the road to travel, the road of love. I think there's at least four necessary steps, and I've put them in your worship folder with these, (coughs) not the steps, but the verses that line up to them. Step one is going to be shut up. Step two is going to be search your heart. Step three is going to be pay the debt. Step four is going to be pay some more. Shut up, search your heart, pay the debt, pay some more. Step one, shut up. Did you catch the irony? The goal is to go to a friend and rebuke and even wound them and bruise them in faithful ways. But in order to get to that loving place, you'll have to shut up for quite some time. You'll have to shut up in three different, oh, caveat, we don't say shut up in my house. So if my kids are listening, it's not okay. If anybody else's kids are listening, it's not okay. This is a sermon. It's a different, it's a different level. It's a layer like inception. Up here is my house. We're down in here somewhere, okay? This is okay, all right? So first, 
You have to shut up in three different relationships. First, don't speak to others unless absolutely necessary. If you want to get to the place of a loving rebuke that leads to repentance and reconciliation, don't speak to others unless absolutely necessary. Proverbs knows my heart and yours. When I am sinned against, my natural inclination is to run to other people and let them know what happened. And I have various motives in my heart for this, from wanting others to feel my pain to wanting others uh, to hate the person with me. But Proverbs clearly identifies telling other people about the offense as foolish and hateful. Three Proverbs, quickly, that, that, will, um, that will tell us this. Again, as you begin at the top of the thread, the next three are going to say, when offended, in order to love, the first three are gonna tell you to cover it and don't tell other people about it. 10, 18, the one who conceals hatred has lying lips, and whoever utters slander is a fool. In the American mind, we're saying, well, it's not slander. I mean, they offended me. They transgressed me. What I'm saying about them is not uh, untrue. It is absolutely true, and it's their fault that they did it. But, but in, in, in the Hebrew language, in, in, this, in this Proverbs, the, the word slander is a really bad translation because it's not giving a false report about somebody. It's simply giving a bad report about somebody, regardless of whether it's true or false. Any report meant to diminish someone else is, is talked about here as slander. If you look at 11.13, you'll see this more obviously. Whoever goes about slandering reveals secrets. So it doesn't say whoever goes about slandering telling lies to someone. It says whoever goes about slandering revealing secrets. A better translation would be whoever goes about tailbearing, whoever goes about informing, whoever goes about telling secrets. That person is a fool and on the path of hatred. Finally, uh, Seventeen nine. Uh, don't speak to others unless absolutely necessary. Whoever covers an offense seeks love, but he who repeats a matter separates close friends. Whoever veils another transgression seeks love. They're in pursuit of love. They're hoping for a relationship in the future, but the one who in pain or pride repeats a matter does damage to the chance of an intimate friendship ever happening again. Second, uh, shut up and don't speak to yourself as though you're God. So first, don't speak to others unless absolutely necessary. Second, under shut up, don't speak to yourself as though you're God. Look at 24, 28, and 29. Be not a witness against your neighbor without cause. Do not deceive with your lips. Do not say, I will do to him as he has done to me. I will pay the man back for what he has done. As we said, hatred is ill will. Hatred is looking forward to the other person, stumbling and falling and, and not succeeding. Hatred is, is hoping for and dreaming about and reveling in the other's failure and pain. And this verse takes it to the next logical step on the road. If we believe that God is taking too long and bringing that pain and that humiliation and that hurt into their lives, we begin to think that he's leaving it up to us to come along and play God and help him out and planning their pain and their fall. And when we begin to take matters into our own hands, we know that we are about to do something grievous, grievous and gross because we begin to talk to ourselves as if we're God. Verse 28, the decision has been made to bear false witness. This is serious. This is premeditated perjury, 
Okay, it's a big deal. How did the person get to this place of planning evil, of going into a court and lying about someone? Verse 29 tells us that they're trying to pay their neighbor back for an offense. But the point right now is this. Who is the false witness talking to in verse 29? He's not talking to a judge. I'm not gonna let the judge know I'm about to commit perjury. I don't think he's talking to a friend. Who's he talking to? He's talking to himself. You see that? Do not say, I'm gonna do to him as he did to me. I'm gonna pay the man back for what he has done. (coughs) We get into all sorts of trouble and sin and hate and ruptured relationship when we sit around and talk to ourselves about how badly we've been offended and we begin to believe that we have the right and the insight and the responsibility to pay the person back. I was offended uh, uh, pretty deeply within the first couple years of being on staff at a church in Lakeland, and I was um, working it through with a, with, um, a, a wise mentor, and, um, and I was kind of walking through how to pursue this person in love and, and to get to the place where my heart was for them and, and where my heart could, could go after them and hoping for their repentance and reconciliation. And, and one morning I woke up around three in the morning and my mind began to go over what had happened and what they had done to me and how grievous it was and how gross it was. My mind began to be um, inflated with self-righteousness that I would never do such a thing as this. And my mind began to see them um, as if they were defined completely and utterly by this one sin they committed against me. And I began and to think of myself, I'm working with a mentor here trying to love this person. Well, look how amazing I am. And my mind just got going. And so I got up on my, and this is, um, this is a long time ago. This is the first PDA I had. I got up on my BlackBerry on those really hard buttons and I started to type an email to this mentor friend of mine and I began to explain um, my morning and what was going on in my heart and, and my, my, my self-righteousness and my anger and my judgmental attitude was just dripping through the emails. I was regurgitating what had been done to me and I hit send and I started to do community Bible reading and, and unfortunately or fortunately my friend was also a morning person and they got the email on their Blackberry and within like two minutes they called me and this is what they said to me. Are you listening to yourself again? Did you get that? Are you sitting there and talking to yourself again? Has that ever gotten us anywhere in love? Nope. Second, shut up. Don't speak to yourself as if you're God. Third, shut up. Don't speak to them too quickly. Don't speak to them too quickly. Look at chapter 11, verse 12. We know from verse 13 that the context is someone who is offended. Whoever belittles his neighbor lacks sense, but a man of understanding remains silent. The fool or the one who lacks sense despises his neighbor in his heart and he begins to belittle and ridicule and deride his neighbor. We have all done this. Someone sins against us. We compound the rupture in the relationship by completely going over the top in our ridicule and our belittling of them, believing we're superior to them, flying off the handle, saying horrible, horrible things that have nothing to do with the original offense, bringing in all kinds of pain and baggage and history. And while the little offense could have been um, worked through and the relationship salvaged, our derision has ruptured it for good. Step one, shut up. 
Step two, search your heart. Stay right here in chapter 11, verse 12. This is what the Hebrew literally reads. Whoever despises his neighbor lacks heart. Uh, um, The way it's written for us that they lack sense is is a good, good um, um, translation of this. But but remember that that in the Hebrew language and in the, the, the Old Testament understanding of humanity and the biblical understanding of humanity, the heart is the core of a person. It's not simply where our emotions come from, although emotions come from the heart. The heart is the place inside of a person where you think and plan and from, from which you speak. It's the core reality of who you are. And, and the Proverbs... Um, the sage is saying this, whoever despises and belittles his neighbor, ha- they lack a heart. They don't have a core reality. They don't have the ability to sit and reflect and think about their own life. They, they have no capacity for considering who they are. The fool will just fly off the handle as though they're perfect, but the wise person will stay silent. They have a heart. They have an ability to contemplate and consider who they actually are deep down inside. In other words, a wise person doesn't fly off the handle and belittle others because they know the depth of their own sin. They stop and they shut their mouth up long enough and they consider their own heart and they realize the extensive reality of their own guilt and through humility, they know that they're not superior to the one who offended them. Search your heart. Jesus uh, talked about this in Matthew chapter seven in the Sermon on the Mount in a rather uh, famous portion of that. He says this, judge not that you not be judged for with the judgment you pronounce you'll be judged and with the measure you use will be measured to you. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there is a log in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the log out of your own eye and then again, same optimal destination, then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. If you uh, look, <clears throat> again, the goal is, uh, is um, this um, restored relationship with brutal honesty being a part of that restored relationship. But the wise person, in order to get to that loving place, will do something that Paul Miller calls beam research. Uh, only after dealing with a larger sin in our lives are we ready to go and deal with a real but small sin in someone else's. If we're willing to work our hearts through the gospel on log-sized sins, then we're ready and qualified to talk to others about their sin. We'll go full of grace, full of forgiveness, full of hope, overflowing from our heart to theirs. Uh, Yesterday night evening, right before dinner, I was uh, playing outside with Liam. He's my 15-month-old, and Gentry, uh, my four-year-old, came out, and Liam had gotten some dirt on his shirt. I've been doing some yard work earlier in the day, and there was some potting soil on his shirt, some mulch on his shirt, various things on his shirt. And he noticed, and he was looking down at it, and he was kind of picking at it. And so I kind of said to him playfully, I said, Liam, did you get your shirt dirty? Uh, just kind of like that, just kind of messing around. And Gentry, um, like a bull in a china shop, runs over, and she assaults him, trying to help him remove the dirt. Um, He's laying on his back. His skull has slammed against the ground. Uh, He's looking uh, like one with utter terror on his face, and she continues to just assault his chest, trying to get the dirt off of it. And this is what I said to her, which I think is quite accurate. Gentry, you stink at being gentle. I'm gonna let that sink in for just a second. In a quick, reactive, and anything but gentle way, I said, Gentry, you stink at being gentle. Can you see how a little beam research would have helped me out last night? She needed some training, no doubt about it. 
Instead of taking a position of superiority and speaking quickly, I could have remained silent, maybe helped my son whose skull was cracked open on the concrete. Uh, I could have remained silent, considered where she needed help, studied my own heart to see where I needed the same help in larger ways than her, walked my own heart through the gospel and its need, and then gone to her through the gospel in the same way. Uh, I try not to preach <clears throat> with broken relationships. I certainly try not to take communion. So at the end of the day, I realized that I had sinned against her. I was in one of those places where I had offended and I had to go to her. And so I went at bedtime <laughs> and uh, I, I crawled in the bed. And, and uh, before we sang and prayed, I said, did you feel like daddy was being gentle when he said, you stink at being gentle? She said, nope. <laughs> I said, you're right. And uh, I sought her forgiveness and told her how I was wrong. Step three, pay the debt. Step one, shut up. Step two, Search your heart. Again, we're trying to get to that place where we can speak an open rebuke that will lead to repentance and relationship. Step three, pay the debt. Um, this point is way too short. Entire books should be written on this point and entire sermons can be preached on this point. But if you look at chapter 24, verse 29, it, it is assuming the biblical metaphor for forgiveness. And when it says, I will make him pay for what he has done. Uh, forgiveness from a biblical perspective is paying the debt that the offender owes. Uh, Jesus' largest teaching on forgiveness, the largest teaching on forgiveness in the Bible is Matthew 18. And it, it is concluded by a long parable about owing money and paying debts and forgiving debts and demanding payment and bitterness. And, and if you move towards someone to speak to them about their offense and about their transgression without first deciding to absorb the expense of their sin, you will go to them, looking to them to pay, looking to exact a pound of flesh, looking to get even. Scripture is clear. The only way to speak truth and love is to go with a forgiving heart, having already decided to pay the debt that your enemy owes. Step four, I told you it was too short. Pay some more. Shut up, <clears throat> search your heart, pay the debt, pay some more. Again, way too short. Chapter 25, verse 21. If your enemy is hungry, give him bread to eat. And if he is thirsty, give him water to drink. For you will heap burning coals on his head and the Lord re will reward you. Now this is incredibly radical. I want you to know that I think this is absolutely, um, absolutely and utterly absurd. That this is, this is crazy if you stop and actually think about what Proverbs 25, 21 says. A good counselor, even if they're not biblical, even if they're not gospel-oriented, a good friend will tell you to take the first three steps because they make absolute sense. The fourth step is craziness. A good friend, a good counselor, even if they don't even know the Bible, will tell you to forgive. They'll tell you, don't seek revenge. Don't waste your life trying to pay somebody back. They'll say, think big picture. Think philosophically. Society will disintegrate if we all live like the Hatfields and the McCoys. They say, decide to forgive. Pay the debt. Be the bigger person. If you don't, you'll be driven by bitterness. And everybody knows the really famous quote about bitterness. It's like drinking rat poison and hoping the, the, the rat will die. And they say, come on, don't do that to yourself and to your Future. The first three steps can be completely and utterly self-centered. Step four is completely and utterly other-centered, and it is absurd and radical and crazy. Look at what it says to do. Not simply move away, pay the debt, and try not to think about how they offended you, but it says move towards them, study their life, consider their needs. When you discover a need, don't exploit them at their place of weakness. 
but instead meet that need with your own resources. In other words, pay the debt they brought against you in forgiveness and then pay some more by meeting their needs where they're weak. This is not some isolated teaching in Scripture. This kind of love for your enemy is commanded in Leviticus. It's taught on by Jesus in Matthew 5 and other places. And in Paul, uh, in Romans 12, excuse me, Paul quotes these exact verses and says, overcome evil with good. Now, I want you to know that this is incredibly, incredibly hard. That, that on our own, it's actually impossible. I know from my life, whether people sin against me in small ways or in big ways, my natural inclination is, is, is to at least not rescue them. Uh, at most, I want to hurt them. My natural inclination is not to move towards them and to seek out their needs and meet them. And I want you to know that if it wasn't for the redundancy in Scripture that talks about loving an enemy this way, I would not bring it to you. But I also want to tell you, if it wasn't for the reality that I have seen this kind of love and I have experienced this kind of love and I have witnessed this kind of love as the offender, as the enemy, I have been loved in this way and it is utterly beautiful. I have seen uh, spouses love and absorb and forgive and extend grace and rescue their partner even after deep and painful betrayal. I've seen children move towards their parents in humility and forgiveness and and move towards parents who have in unspeakable ways abused them. I've seen leaders forgive and extend grace and, and rescue subordinates who are guilty of insubordination. If it wasn't in the scripture and it wasn't so redundant, and, and frankly, if I hadn't experienced it in the, as a recipient in my own life, I wouldn't bring it to you. Listen to this uh, story. It's another example of a believer walking the path of love, and they say how they were able to do it. This is to get the power for the steps on the path of love, the power for the steps on the path of love. In 1994, Immaculee uh, Ilbegiza went home from college to Rwanda for Easter break. And as chance or providence uh, would have it, she was home for what many call the Rwandan Holocaust. A Holocaust is a technical term uh, for a destruction or a slaughter on a massive scale. And of course, the most famous is the German Nazi Holocaust in the mid-1940s. But in 1994, over a million people in Immaculee's tribe, the Tutsi tribe, uh, were slaughtered by Hutu Rwandans when their president's plane was shot down. Over a million people in 91 days. Uh, To make a long story short, when the genocide began, Immaculate's parents ordered her to run to a minister's house some three miles away. She left behind her grandparents, both sets, her parents, both of them, and two brothers, all of whom within days were slaughtered by the Hutus. And so for 91 days, Immaculate hid in a three-foot by four-foot bathroom with seven other people and a a minister, seven other uh, Tutsi women and and a minister for 91 days. In the days since those horrible 91 days, Immaculate has uh, sought out the neighbor who killed her family members. She has extended forgiveness to the man and has even helped him in numerous ways since 1994 to get his life back on track. In unbelief, shock, and disapproval, folks continually ask her, what were you thinking? What are you thinking now as you help this man who has so obviously been your enemy? Do you want to know what her answer is? It's, it's the power for the steps that I just described for you. It's the only way to pull it all off 
in a way that is other-centered and not self-centered. For 91 days in that three-foot by four-foot bathroom, the Lord continually put one scripture on her heart to meditate upon. She says that one verse coupled with those 91 days radically transformed her faith and saved her soul. The one verse, Matthew 6, 12, the Lord's Prayer. And forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. This teaching on how to love an enemy is impossible and absolutely absurd unless the gospel is true. But if the gospel is true, this teaching makes absolute sense and it is increasingly possible for those who believe. We'll keep talking about this a little further when we take communion. Let's pray. (coughs) God, we thank you that when we were your enemy, you pursued us in love. You reconciled us to yourself through the death of your son. And you have saved us by utter and sheer grace. We thank you that when we had committed insurrection and rebellion against you and our debt towards you was larger than we could possibly imagine, you decided to absorb the debt yourself at the cross. You decided to pay the debt and to not charge it against us. We thank you that you look at us now not as those who are unloving and self-centered and hateful, but you look at us as those who are loving and other-centered. You look at us the way you looked at Christ in his life. We thank you for this grace and this truth. Would you now, as we sing this song and as we take communion, would you further help us to understand that if the gospel is true, this teaching makes absolute sense and it is possible for us to live in this beautiful and freeing way as we decrease and Christ increases in us. In your name we pray, Lord Jesus. Amen.